Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. All over the country, there have been calls for book bans. Parents or community members go to their school board and say they don't want kids to have access to something for whatever reason. Maybe it's an LGBTQ plus character. Could be a conversation about race, uncomfortable hardships, truths, lived experiences that those people say children aren't ready for. But while some parts of the state have been inundated with these book challenges, Western Pennsylvania really hasn't. Today, we're with City Papers' Colin Williams to talk about why. It's Wednesday, October 25th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. Colin, welcome back to CityCast Pittsburgh. Thank you so much for having me. So you've been working on a story, it should drop very soon, about the ways that book bans have or haven't surfaced across Western Pennsylvania. And it sounds like it's been sort of spotty, like some challenges in school districts like Norwin, Hemfield, Pine Ridgeland, Franklin Regional. But considering that we have, gosh, I guess 100 districts in our metro area, that doesn't seem that bad compared to places like Philly. If you zoom out a little bit, what do you think got this whole issue of book bans started? A lot of this stuff started with masking. It sounds really odd, um, but there were parents who were extremely upset about COVID mitigation protocols like masking. Um, There was a concerted push in Pine Richland in particular to get students back into the classroom full time. Um, You know, the strong kind of anti-hybrid education thing. And basically what seems to have happened is once conservative parents started to pay closer attention to how school policy was getting determined, they started to not like what they were seeing around diversity, equity, and inclusion practices. So a lot of these like DEI trainings came under scrutiny, um, books that were about um, things like affirmative action, racial justice started to be regarded with some suspicion. And sort of as that kind of snowballed with with DEI and, and with the CRT sort of boogeyman, um, that's critical race theory for for those right. who might not be familiar. Um, that has sort of transmuted itself into this push against what people like uh, Moms for Liberty are, are describing as sexually explicit literature. So essentially we went from masks are bad to CRT is bad to now really like a whole wide swath of books might be, you know, in, in the words of Moms for Liberty seen as indoctrinating children or giving them access to like instructions for how to have sex in certain ways. Um, so it's, it's interesting the way that it's it really in just two short years, these arguments have, have really changed and changed their angle. 
I feel like that word indoctrinating, that's the one that I keep seeing from groups like Moms for Liberty. Um, They're a conservative parent group founded in Florida in 2021, but there are chapters all over. They have really strong opinions about things and opinions about forcing other people to live by their ideals as well. They've been identified as an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. I hear about them in other places, but do Moms for Liberty chapters have a big foothold here in Western Pennsylvania? I would say kind of. I think <laughs> they're, uh, that's a sort of imprecise answer, but really what, what I observe from looking into the group and from speaking with some of the members is that there are a lot of new chapters that have sprung up and are still sort of in the process of getting their operations going. So whereas you have some districts in places like Eastern PA or other parts of the country where Moms for Liberty is really well organized, um, I think those groups are really just starting to get momentum now. And I, it comes at a critical time because we're in the midst of a school board election cycle in many school districts. And so as Moms for Liberty is starting to, you know, really get ahead of steam, uh, there are also candidates that agree with their values who are running for office in school districts throughout Allegheny County and elsewhere. Well, and I know you talked to, you know, several people, obviously, for your reported piece um, for Pinch, for Belt Magazine, um, for CityCast. Um, One of them was Christine Emerin from the National Coalition Against Censorship, who, like you said, traced this back to the pandemic. In the past, we've always had like, you know, the one parent that would object to something. But, you know, with social media, it's another, you know, kind of animal. And then also with this um, political situation where we find ourselves polarized you know, it's always the politicians looking for issues, hot button issues. I mean, I think it became more clear during the pandemic, you know, that there was a pushback, you know, against, you know, telling parents, you know, what to do in terms of like their kids and wearing masks, the mask mandate, right? So I felt like this kind of morphed out of that in terms of having parents' right to control their kids and their education. Perhaps, you know, they were looking for like an issue of some sort to heighten. Um, and this perhaps morphed into it. Colin, it seems like over time there has been this kind of shift in exactly what kinds of books are getting targeted by these bands. Like at first there were a lot of challenges to books about race, but now it seems like the focus is on books about gender identity, sexual orientation, especially books about queer or trans characters. What do you think is behind this shift that we're seeing? I think it's just been an easier topic to kind of uh, create um outrage, really, and awareness among conservative parents about what's happening in schools. I mean, as all of this is happening, I I think there are two things in the national conversation that are having a big impact on this in local levels. And that is one, that there has been a very vocal anti-trans contingent. And, you know, we've seen this with like Bud Light boycotts and things like that with uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Right, because Bud Light had the audacity to include a trans influencer in their national ads. Yeah, yeah. But there's also been um, candidates like Ron DeSantis who have been very loud advocates for things like school choice. Um, So uh, really all of it is being kind of couched as parents' rights. Like what a lot of these these groups are saying is that we want to, you know, parents should have the final say about what their kids are reading, Um, which of course schools push back by saying, well, we have procedures in place for picking these books and you can say what your kids can read at home or not. But those issues have just, I think, been able to reach and resonate with a wider swath of conservative parents as those issues have become so prominent in the national conversation. 
I know you spoke to one queer author, Christopher Barzak, who's from just a few miles away from here in Youngstown, Ohio, and his book got targeted by one of these bands. Um, I was reading that for him, it started with a Texas lawmaker who created a list of 850 books that that guy claimed could cause psychological distress for young readers. And Barzak's book was on that list. Um, here's him talking about it. Initially, I was in shock. After that settled in, it, I actually got a bit emotional about it because the thing that it mainly reminded me of was being a kid and, yeah, being bullied and told to shut up and uh, to be invisible. And that wasn't an emotional response that I had anticipated. It, it, it's a situation that I hadn't anticipated happening because it seemed like we had that the world had changed. Yeah, I mean, there definitely seems to be a hoped for chilling effect on these authors speaking up, advocating for their books. And Chris um, was, you know, he was very clear to point out that like, hey, look, I'm an established author. I've released several titles. I've got a position at a university. But for artists who are making most of their money on their written work or on their graphic novels or whatever the case may be, um, this is a real threat to livelihood. And it's also potentially... Um, you know, going to discourage authors from trying to put these narratives out there if they feel like they're suddenly going to come under the gun and receive threats or um, be subject to bans. Um, I think it's it's bad for sort of the business of writing books, but it's also, um, I think it's psychologically difficult for some of these authors as well to just feel like they're under this increased level of scrutiny all of a sudden. Exactly. It's bad for the humans behind the art. Um, Chris talked to you a little bit about why it felt so important to him to write stories that center LGBTQ youth. And it was like an important kind of, of writing for me uh, uh, as a reader when I was growing up to to be able to encounter uh, narratives that resonated with me that showed me back to myself. And I was growing up as a uh, a queer kid in a very rural community in, in northeastern Ohio, and you know, growing up in a situation like that, I it was it was difficult and alienating in some ways because uh, I knew something was different about me, but I didn't know exactly what or, or what it looked like or what a life for someone like me looks like, uh, and trying to find that in literature was difficult. Uh, so when I started to write, it was something for me. Uh, that I felt that I needed to present to others something that I didn't feel that I that I had easy access to uh, or available any kind of available uh, you know air images or narratives of of what someone like me looks and lives like. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. 
Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, aka Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I think it's super important for folks to kind of have a mirror in, in society. And that's one thing that I that um, the National Coalition Against Censorship is very clear about as well, is that the, one of the most important things in kind of trying to row back some of these bans or to preempt them is to have student voices in the room so that students can say these things for themselves. Because I think that can help mm-hmm. um, just, you know, really provide context for why this type of literature and this type of art is important. And it can work. You know, CityCast's own Mallory Falk reported on a school district on the eastern side of the state that fought back and won. They were able to keep books within their libraries because they had their voices heard um, on a much louder stage. Um, And I know you've reported a little bit kind of on that pattern, like how these book bans unfold in districts. They're either successful or not. And I'm curious what you mean by that and how you would describe what, you know, you called, quote unquote, a pattern. Well, it seems to be that these lists circulate on social media and perhaps through other channels. Um, there, there are tools like Book Looks that um, you know organizations like Moms for Liberty use to share pages of books that they deem objectionable. So, in in the case of the um, the Moms for Liberty vice chair that I spoke with, she shared several scans and and Book Looks copy of uh, some of these different novels that were you know in many cases it was graphic novels dealing with things like childhood sexual abuse with early queer experiences, um, with issues of consent and things like that. So it struck me as interesting in some ways that her answers centered so much on the politics, but the books that she was interested in centered so much on these sexual themes. Did she actually read the books that she was complaining about, you know, trying to get bans put in place for? Uh, I can't say with certainty that she did. I mean, I certainly, she read the clips that she sent to me. Um, I can't speak to it really beyond that, but um, yeah, I mean, I you look at this stuff nationally, like the Washington Post had a fascinating deep dive into this not too long ago about how of the many thousands of book bans out there right now. And again, this is nationwide. Eleven people were responsible for the bulk of them again nationwide, because like you said, they're using these lists. Individual people are filing many, many, many dozens of bands each. And many of them said that they weren't necessarily reading them, that they were counting on colleagues or friends or other members of the group to, to do that reading. And then they were filing on their behalf. And I think that I think that that is true for just the way that pattern has held in Western Pennsylvania. So, uh, you know, once these lists kind of get in the hands of people who are able to kind of raise a stink about them, it's pretty easy to um, kind of suck a lot of the oxygen out of school board meetings and start raising these issues really loudly. <laughs> no doubt. Um, it's also in some in some districts, it's fairly easy to just present these lists and kind of f- sort of jawbone the, the staff into working on them as a whole. Um, but I just, I, I think a lot of school districts are missing the policies needed to 
deal with these issues head on. So if you have one individual who's bringing 100 books up for consideration, um, it may take a long time to process those requests. Um, and it also does distract districts in some cases from dealing with other issues like building renovations or other policy changes that they want to make because you know, a very vocal group of parents essentially demands that attention be paid to these different books. Have you heard of, you know, other types of libraries? Like I know we're talking about school bans, of course, but like people issuing book bans to, you know, things like the Carnegie Library System or any of our regional ones. One of the things that's interesting in PA is that libraries are not as insulated from public reaction to stuff like this as other places are. So in Pennsylvania, there are, you know, county library boards that sort of loosely oversee groups of libraries, but they're pretty directly beholden to the voters in a way that they aren't in every state. Um, so while I, while I, not a whole lot of that turned up in our reporting, um, I think Pennsylvania has some unique vulnerabilities when it comes to this stuff that leaves library systems open to more concerted pushes. Now, I mean, that having been said, um, Allegheny County itself, I think, is pretty okay just based on the fact that there's a countywide library board that's very much on top of this issue. You know, being part of the city, they have uh, they have more central oversight. They have a more liberal reader base. They have a lot of support from neighbors. Um, Allegheny County Library Association, you know, they, they do a pretty good job of, of coordinating communication among staff at different libraries throughout the county. They're in touch with the National Library Association and I think have a pretty robust organizational structure. But in some more rural counties, that's not always the case. What does the political landscape look like more broadly, I guess, across Pennsylvania right now? Um, Because we've seen state legislatures attempt to limit books, you know, from on high. Um, And here on the show just a few weeks ago, we talked about proposed legislation in Harrisburg that would actually ban book bans, which is an interesting twist. It is. I mean, I it would be interesting if that had more of a chance of passing. I think with the (laughs) GOP-led Pennsylvania Senate, if it did get through the House, the chances of that becoming law are somewhat slim. Um, as far as the political landscape go- goes, though, I think two things that came out of our reporting that really intrigued me were, one, that the ALA, American Library Association, has collected a lot of data that suggests that there is a pretty robust national majority against book bans, um, that parents nationwide on both sides of the aisle feel that um, you know, parents should have the last word in what their kids read. Um, at home, not within the mechanism of a school district policymaking apparatus. Um, but the other thing is a lot of parents who were maybe previously kind of content with the status quo and weren't participating very actively in things like school boards are now getting off the fence and running for office themselves. And so where there, it seems like in my Pine Richland story, there was this initial conservative wave of candidates who were receiving funding in some cases from outside donors. They're now left of center parents who are Um, you know, getting involved in their school district. So one parent I spoke with in Franklin Regional School District is very explicitly campaigning on a return to reasonableness. And, um, you know, her her pitch to voters was pretty simple. She was basically like, we want to make things boring again. So that is a that is a very interesting political result of all of these these banning efforts. Well, and there are school board elections coming up in our region here in a couple of weeks. You reported that there are contested races in 21 school systems just in Allegheny County. What are you going to be keeping your eye on over there at City Paper? Oh, there is a lot. I have to give a quick shout out to uh, Allegheny County Councilor Tom Dewar, who provided me with a really fabulous um, spreadsheet of some of the more contested elections. But it sounds like districts like Quaker Valley in particular 
are seeing pretty heated contests between liberal-leaning and conservative-leaning school board candidates. Um, I'm still um, in contact with some of my sources from Pine Richland. There's now a pretty um, contested race there where I think three conservative candidates are going up against three more liberal candidates um, to kind of see if they can either cement the conservative majority there or push back on it. Um, there are other districts like Upper St. Clair um, where there are um, contested school board seats with parents on both sides of this book banning issue. Um, and really just looking ahead to the elections, I mean, I, some districts are starting to see like Norwin School District has had a very contentious few years of, of book banning attempts. And there too, there's a there's pushback from more liberal leaning parents and there's a lot of zeal for continuing to have conservative policies among some candidates. So um, really wherever you live, I would encourage voters to just see who's on the ballot and figure out where they stand on these issues. Because um, in a lot of races where you know people might have just been like, I'm a teacher and I'm running based on my experience in the system, they're now making very explicit pitches to voters about what the effect might be on reading materials, um, racial justice initiatives, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, lots to, lots to look out for this election cycle. And check their Facebooks. Always look up someone's name in their Facebook. Always check Facebook. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's not enough local reporters to cover every single race anymore. I have, I have nothing but tears for that situation. Um, but their Facebooks tell you a lot more than you think they should. Yes. And that, Facebook is very central to all of this. I mean, it is where Moms for Liberty is doing some of their organizing. It is where parents are rallying together to push back against ban attempts. I think as for all that the younger generation may not be using Facebook as much as the older generations are, um, that is still a very active political arena for many of these groups. Well, make your plan to vote if you haven't already. The election is Tuesday, November 7th, and polls are open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Colin, thank you so much for this reporting. We'll make sure and share it with everyone as soon as it's live. And I can't wait to see what you cook up next for City Paper. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate it. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell someone, rate us, leave us a nice review, and make sure you're subscribed to that Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. Needless paperwork. So much, so much paperwork.